Welcome, everybody. It's Ed Martin again. It's great to be together. We are doing our podcast, Life Matters. Life Matters. So much is happening around the country. So many conversations that are taking place on the life issues, on the law, on what's going to happen in different states. Uh, just more than ever, Life Matters. And of course, with lots of, uh, lots of events in people's lives, I was reminded this morning, I had a text from my sister, that her, uh, I guess, middle son graduated high school, college, lots of graduations, and they were traveling, you know, lots of families that are marking changes. Another family friend of ours is moving. So life matters. And in this great time, uh, this conversation about pro-life as we're gathered, I'm here with Jordan Henry, uh, the research director at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and uh, a writer, commentator. And we're gathering, you know, we talk about this all the time. We're rallying the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling. Uh, Jordan, you know, for a moment, uh, uh, contemplating that phrase, which we've been using, you know, the calling is defending life. And that's that's where we are. And it's kind of exciting to see people the last 48 hours. Herschel Walker said, I don't want an exception for abortion. Right. He said, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Kathy Barnett surged in the in the in the polls, didn't win, but surged basically because people looked up and said, wow. That woman's, uh, I think, product of rape, right? And she's and she's yeah. an extraordinary lady. So that's right. Well, you know, this is a uh, this. While is, her campaign was outspent, ten, uh, I think it was ten to one. Actually, by the way, is that right? Is that the numbers that? It got? I, I, yeah, I believe. And that's the numbers we only know. To be well, honest, at least uh, that's what it was. Whenever she got the bump, she, right? You know. The Wizard of Oz and then the other uh, uh, McCormick had probably gazillions of dollars <laughs> right. that we don't even know about. So, but anyway, back to this calling. You know, the calling to um, to fulfill. Uh, what, what what our potential is. And one of the things that we've talked about, so excited to talk with Melissa Oden, is uh, what's the face of a conversation, right? Don't tell me about rights. Don't tell me about principles. Who are the faces? Who are the voices of this conversation? And I think Melissa Oden, who we've had as a speaker at our stuff before, uh, she's the founder and the director of the Abortion Survivors Network. Um, and uh, e- even her tagline, you were, we were driving together today, Jordan, uh, talking about this, behind the word choice is a person. And that, to me, is our calling, that mm-hmm. there's a person at the heart of this. So um, before I go to Melissa, I, I, you, you look so uh, wrapped. I know you, you're passing out or you have something you want to share? No, no, I, I am enraptured <laughs> oh, by that okay. by that thought. Introduction, you know? yeah, okay, good. Okay, yeah, good. well, I mean, the tagline <laughs> more than your introduction of it, but right. either way. <laughs> and uh, Melissa Oden, she, she author of a book, uh, "You Carried Me: A Daughter's Memoir." Without further ado, Melissa Oden, welcome to the uh, podcast. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm well, thanks. Uh, you're you're on your website when you have that phrase behind the word choice is a person. Tell me, as a leader, a communicator, why that's so important. We know that the abortion industry has been successful in their messaging for you know nearly five decades. And of course, we're seeing the unraveling of that. You can only package lies for so long. You can only twist words for so long before they ultimately come back to get you. Yeah. But I think, you know, abortion survivors are such a good example of that, Ed. You know, they have tried to deny our existence, um, marginalize us, silence us, but at the the end of the day, behind the word choice that they've pushed for so long, it was always a child, not a choice. And that's why we see, you know, oh, it's healthcare. Oh, it's a right. It's, you know, fill in the blank because that was never true in the first place. It was always a child. And, you know, what I found even since the Alito leak is we've had about 13 more abortion survivors reach out to us. This wow. is typical when we break the cultural shame and silence. We see more and more survivors. 
But what I found, you guys, is so interesting to me. Most of these survivors who reached out after the leak survived abortion attempts before it was legalized. So coat hangers, chemical abortions that were being passed along in doctor's office long before Roe was legalized. And doesn't that just point back to what we know to be true? The child was never a choice. Yeah. Wow. Um, I got goosebumps, uh, uh, multiple reasons there. Again, we're talking with Melissa Oden. Um, I, I'm almost I'm almost distracted by what you said, because it's uh, and I, I, a whole time, you know, you're thinking of the next question. Um, and I wanted to ask you, because off the air, we were talking about your family, your kids, the weather and your kids. And, and I wanted to say, Melissa Oden, tell us about your family for a second, because that's part of you're 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 a you're a voice, but the voice is not a survivor only. It's a, a mom. So tell tell me about your family, your kids. That's part of what we talk about at the Abortion Survivors Network, too. We are more than abortion survivors. Yeah. You know, the pro-life movement, if we choose to come forward with our story, they know us as, oh, one of those abortion survivors. But you're right. We are more than a choice and we're more than an abortion survivor. So I'm a master's level social worker. I'm a leader in the pro-life movement. But trust me, I am the most ordinary woman you will ever cross <laughs> with. So I'm a mom of a now 14-year-old. This is mind-blowing to me to add. Wow. She'll go to high school next year. Oh, yeah. Plans on studying political science and oh. law. Apparently, you know, she probably gets that from her dad, I uh-huh, guess. Uh-huh, yeah. And my little one is seven and a half and will be going into second grade. So, wow. you know... The movement is full of ordinary people who know the truth, have fought for the truth. And, you know, I truly believe that's why we're in the position we are today. Ordinary people like, you know, Phyllis yeah. made this huge impact in the world. Well, I always think when I think of you, Melissa, and and, and these great successful people, but especially women, I'm reminded of that famous phrase, uh, Jordan, we heard Phyllis say, famous for us, and we like to make it famous. But she said, with a big smile, she'd say, I had it all, just not all at once. And she meant, you know, she had this great marriage. Her husband was a very accomplished lawyer. They were great partners in writing and all. She had six kids. She had uh, best-selling books, TV, radio, all across a 75-plus year uh, career in her 92 years of life. Um, uh, Melissa Oden is our guest, and she uh, the book she wrote is You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. Um, and if you go to abortionsurvivors.org, uh, you can learn more about the Abortion Survivors Network. Melissa, I'm sorry, Jordan, I'm monopolizing the time, but uh, the, on the comment you just made about 13 people coming forward, um, and then I want you to tell your story, but I want to hear this for people to understand. Years ago, I was doing some litigation for Americans United for Life, you know them, and um, we, we had a study, which I cited forever. I'm not sure even where it is or what how true it was, but it, I think it makes intuitive sense. When the issue becomes important... Even if it doesn't succeed, for example, we used to say file a pro-life bill in the legislature, force a conversation because you end up having people drawn to the conversation and they have a, they, they have a way of coming to the truth of it in life. And I, I guess that's what you're saying. When that when something explodes in a public way, abortion survivors feel uh, uh, what uh, 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 empowered to come forward or a need to come forward. Sometimes it's empowerment. There's definitely a dose of that because five out of six of my team at the Abortion Survivors Network are fellow abortion survivors. I mean, this is very much a thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we love, we found purpose in that after healing. But, you know, I think there is a level of empowerment when survivors go, whoa, there's other people like me right. and they found their voice. And so I can do that too. 
But it is really interesting because a lot of the, the first contacts we get from survivors, they'll say, you know, I've known my story for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I've always had this nagging feeling that I don't belong anywhere. I've always faced being rejected. Most survivors are raised in their biological family. I mean, this is a whole huh. whole big conversation that we need to keep having, even in the pro-life movement about who we are. But there's rejection. There's, unfortunately, if there's not healing in that family, there is abuse that happens, right? Mm -hmm. All of those circumstances that led to the abortion in the first place, if we don't break that cycle, mm -hmm. those survivors experience that. And so even this morning, I was reading through one of my team members' interviews with the Daily Signal. Priscilla is in her early 70s, had two abortions, found out that she had been unsuccessfully aborted in an illegal abortion by wow. her mother. Wow. Right. There was this piece of her that always was rejected, didn't fit in. Nobody talked about it. So had two abortions, then worked in the abortion industry, trying to give women something that she never found. Right. That cycle perpetuates itself. And so unless we reach those survivors who have this nagging feeling of like, there's something different about me and I don't know where to go to be able to be healed and find my voice, that cycle goes on and on. Wow. Um, Melissa, now back to what I, what Jordan and I are talking, we want to hear so much and we want our, our, our um, listeners on this podcast, Life Matters, um, tell us your story, your voice on your story, because it's so powerful and so present when people say, oh, let's have a debate on exceptions or on this or that. No, here's a, here's what happened. This is not just a story. It's your history. It's, it's who you are. Will you tell us that, please? Yeah, I am kind of the poster child of what most people think uh, an abortion survivor is. So we now know my birth mother, unfortunately, was forced to abort me. It certainly doesn't change the, the circumstances that I was more than a choice, right? Uh, no matter how it was packaged. But she was forced when she was likely about 31 weeks pregnant with me. We know that through my medical records. My abortionist wrote 18 to 20 weeks gestationally on those records. But, you know, like most abortionists, he wasn't performing any kind of exam, didn't know how far along she was. This is what I hear time and time again from survivors. So I was likely 31 weeks. I survived a saline infusion abortion, which was the most common abortion procedure back in the 70s. So I was uh, poisoned and should have been scalded over a five day period. Uh, two days longer than the standards of the procedure. I just was not budging from the womb every time <laughs> they were trying to induce my birth mother's labor. Wow. And so on the fifth day, they successfully induced her labor and I should have been delivered that day as a successful abortion. And that is the day that I was accidentally born alive. And what happened then? When, they, when you were born alive, did they say, oh, now, now we're going to be sort of honorable medical practitioners and take care of the baby? I mean, how did, how did, do we know right. how, how did that work? Just smacks of Governor Northam of Virginia, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. said, you know, <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll lay the baby aside and then a conversation will ensue about what will happen with that baby. And we want to, in our culture, people want to pretend like, oh, after the baby's born alive, I mean, oh, they're, they're suddenly not a choice anymore. And right. oh, you know, oh, there's laws to protect people. Just because there's laws doesn't mean people follow them. And, and we know that to be true. And, and I want people to understand, even from a federal standpoint, there is no born alive legislation. None. We only have less than 10 states that even have born alive legislation. So 
people need to realize this is still a problem. And yeah. I see this when I testify in state legislatures. We catch them all the time. We know what they're doing. But in, you know, in my circumstances, I was, quote unquote, laid aside for a period of time. Uh, we can tell from my medical records by my APGAR score, I was nearly dead within about five minutes. Wow. And ultimately, a nurse rushed me off to the NICU. You know, that's honestly, I think, one of the reasons why I'm alive, because that late term abortion took place at a hospital. Wow. So there wow. was medical care there when one person did the right thing, wow. which was not allow me to be left to die. Hmm. Um, and then years later, I think Jordan and I again, we're talking uh, many years later. We, I think we might have heard you speak on this whole experience. And then you connected with your mother, your birth mother. Um, tell us that. Yeah, that's the beautiful part of this story. It well, I think a been... beautiful part is you, but we'll, I'll, 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 I know I know what you mean. Go ahead. <laughs> I know. Well, you're right, because the beautiful part of the story wouldn't have happened if I yeah. hadn't first survived right. that horrible procedure. Uh, I am adopted. I'm one of those survivors that is adopted. Found out my story when I was 14, was incredibly traumatized by that, like most survivors. Went on a search to find my birth mother and ultimately found out who my birth parents were when I was about 30. Um, had no idea that there were so many secrets surrounding that abortion. You know, my birth mother spent over 30 years of her life believing that I had died in that abortion. Wow. It was kept a secret from her. And so it has taken a lot of time and a lot of healing for her and I to connect. And so we started communicating back in 2013 and met face to face for the first time in 2016. And you know, it is one of those things that's almost indescribable to me to tell you what it's like to be united with my birth mother, Ruth. It, it has some, been something that we fought for, you know, to go through our own healing and to show love and forgiveness. And, you know, my kids would tell you that their grandma Ruth is just another one of their grandmas, that she gives the best birthday presents, <laughs> the first person to text when it's a birthday or anniversary. And you know, I love that that we can show the world that, but it is so true. If I hadn't first survived, none of this would have happened. Hmm. It's so interesting. You know, we all have the narrative that we've been told about what uh, choices and life and, and political talk back and forth and back and forth. And your story, I think, really disrupts that back and forth, that that dichotomy that so many people are trapped in. So when people who who uh, don't support life, who who s support abortion, elective abortion, when they're confronted with your story, what kind of reactions do oh. you get? Oh, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of interesting responses. That's a whole other podcast. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> um, high level view. Let's see. You know, when I go and I testify before Congress, there tends to be a myriad of responses. You know, typically the abortion witnesses will say things like, uh, she should not be speaking. What happened to her was illegal. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking, it was perfectly legal. That's what you're here fighting for. Why Why did this suddenly change, right? It's that shape-shifting. I'm grabbing for a straw. So uh, yeah, she shouldn't be speaking. This was illegal. We're not, we're not talking about circumstances like hers. Uh, you are not relevant to this conversation, Melissa, because that type of procedure isn't performed routinely anymore. Uh, that's, I mean, those are some of the responses I get. Sometimes, you know, 
believe it or not, some of those Democratic leaders will show me some respect. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, I've had some interesting exchanges post hearings, but it doesn't negate the fact that they still will dismiss me 100%. It's like, pat you on the head. Hey, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but I am still supporting this bill that is championing the very thing that is traumatized your life and is ending the lives of children still today. Uh, we're talking with Melissa Oden. Let me say a couple of things. Uh, at Melissa Oden on Twitter, uh, O-H-D-E-N. We'll put it up on social media too. Uh, MelissaOden.com and AbortionSurvivors.org. If people are listening, they know someone, they have some experience. I mean, one of the things that's uh, wonderful, you mentioned you have a social work background that, you know, this is, although you care about the politics, I've never seen you uh, come at it from politics or policy. You're 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 coming at it from where you are, which is uh, pretty powerful. And so, thank you for that. And um, it's Ed Martin. I'm here with Jordan Henry and Life Matters. Um, so, uh, Melissa, how do you? What what about young people? Like we all like to say, and we've got great advocates in the in the sort of pro life movement that younger people, and the late Phyllis Schlafly used to say this that ultrasounds made people see that baby, uh, uh, 3D ultrasounds, there's 3D printers now. You can 3D print an eight-week-old baby and look at it, right? All this stuff. Um, and so we say young people are becoming more pro-life. But how does, how, do, how does a message from you, a survivor or other survivors, how does it resonate with young people? Is part of it that they're too... I mean, part of it, some people probably go, oh, I don't want to hear about this. It's too much. Or, I, I, or, or but, is it, but it's so powerful to look at you and to and, and we're on the podcast here, I'm looking at her on on a camera, uh, and and hear and and see and feel that person. Uh, how do young people respond? How do how, how are they finding this? Young people have always responded really well, by and large. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. Part of what we do at the Abortion Survivors Network, we run healing groups, retreats, we offer community groups and Zooms to survivors around the world. So we have survivors from Sri Lanka, Australia, wow. you name it, they're joining us. We're the only organization that does this. Uh, but what we also do is provide, of course, a lot of education and outreach to the public. And so I just had uh, survivors at a university uh, out east, and then I had a survivor speak at a middle school and high school chapel. And I will tell you, those kids responded so powerfully. We know the kids inherently know the truth. And it isn't until it starts getting twisted um, by our world, uh, by people who have already been impacted by abortion, by the abortion industry who messages to them. You know, did you guys catch this in Kansas City? We had some middle schoolers that walked out after the Alito leak. They said, uh, we're old enough to get pregnant, but we're not old enough to vote. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Who teaches them that? Um, yeah. yeah. Where did that one come from? Yeah, wow. But so what I find is that young people respond so well. They know the truth. They want to continue to be supported in their beliefs of knowing the truth. And that's where we all come in in the pro-life movement. You know, I every day I wake up thinking, okay, so what's next? Yeah. I mean, I have enough to do, trust me, <laughs> as I know you do, what's right. next? But I think that's part of where we're going to head is being able to reach young people to say, this has been the truth all along. And we're here to support you as you learn this truth, as it maybe isn't so loud out there in the world. And this is, I mean, this is the next stage of the battle. Uh, Melissa Oden is our guest. Um, she's the uh, the head of uh, Abortion Survivors Network. Sorry, Jordan. I know I'm really filibustering, but uh, monopolizing. But um, Melissa, uh, your story as a face of a survivor, you also are the face of a woman and a mother and a, and a, and a woman. 
I think I just said that, but anyway, and uh, and what is a woman? That, well, that's a different <laughs> that's a different podcast, Melissa. We're gonna, I've asked Jordan to research that. We're going to do it in a podcast another <laughs> right. time. I'm not sure. We're not biologists. We're not, we bi- don't know. We're yeah. not biologists. That's a good point. I didn't take a biology course once, though, so I've got some guessing. Uh, but Melissa, um, one of the things we we have a great friend here. I know you know her, uh, Bridget Van Means of Thrive, I and mean, she's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And she will talk about how don't get caught talking about the baby only remember the mom the woman right because that that's a little trick that the media will say like oh you want to criminalize you know you want your grandma ruth she should go to jail now and they'll do this whole thing they test drove that after the alito leak we talked about it that they a weekend of the talk shows and they realized it wasn't quite working because no one wants to put women to get abortion in jail maybe the doctors right maybe the the people the planned parenthood people maybe but i mean <laughs> but still but you're a mom you're a woman and we have this kind of tension then where we we can't we have to put a face on the survivor i think it's powerful and i want to come back to that in this context of exceptions but we also have to say how do we help the mom these women in tough spots how do you ba- how do you balance that well i think it's really interesting the abortion survivors network what we try so hard to help people understand is our biological moms and us as survivors we were never enemies right we were never enemies the other side has done a wonderful job of pitting women against children. Huh. Hmm. And as survivors, yes, we have to go through this process of healing to really forgive the circumstances that led to someone trying to take our life. And certainly for survivors who go through trauma after trauma, there is a whole process of forgiveness and healing that people really have to walk to walk through. But, you know, I can tell you that we were never enemies, my birth mother and I. I was the intended victim. She was the secondary victim in that abortion. And so I just want people to understand that, that we are not in conflict. I have never asked anyone to value my life more than Ruth's. What I have always asked people to see is that her life and mine have inherent dignity and value equally. And the other side will never, it seems, acknowledge that both Ruth and I had inherent dignity and value. They can't reconcile that. Yeah. Wow. That last bit right there, That's we should end the podcast on that. But Jordan's <laughs> got a question. He's probably going to drag us. Go ahead, Jordan. Well, something something along, along the same lines, though. You, obviously, there's probably no one on the planet who knows best how to help people who are abortion survivors. So if if... If there's someone listening to this podcast who knows someone who is a survivor of abortion, uh, what would you recommend that they do? What steps could they take to help someone who's dealing with that trauma? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first step is just to let them know that they are not alone. I can tell you most survivors think they're the only one. Mm -hmm. And whether, you know, they're 70, 80 years old or they're 20, there is this because the cultural silence is that deep on this. If, if you are being culturally gaslighted on a regular basis, right? Survivors don't exist. Failed abortions don't happen. There is so much isolation and shame that survivors face. So tell survivors they're not alone and then point them to us at the Abortion Survivors Network. That is our, our huge gap that we fill in our culture and in the pro-life movement because there are so many things we can offer to them, whether it's just a safe place to share their story privately or you know, a healing group or training. We train survivors on how to speak publicly. We have a coach who works with them. We'd had three survivors on Fox and Friends a couple weeks ago. We had a, two survivors in Florida with Governor DeSantis at his bill signing. 
we are constantly doing lots of things and we just want to support survivors with wherever they're at. They don't have to share their story, but that is something that they can do if they feel empowered and equipped to do it. Um, Melissa, one last uh, uh, thank you for your time, first of all, and, and for the abortion survivors. Uh, abortionsurvivors.org is the website you can go to or go to at Melissa Odin on uh, Twitter. You can direct message her there and melissaodin.com. She, I'm sure you're used to some people that will find their way to ask. I'm not sure what to do next. And, and um, But I want to ask about exceptions. You know, words become powerful. So we have this, oh, well, we're going to, okay, I'm against abortion. I'm for babies. I'm for life. But... I got to have certain exceptions. And by the way, I just thought in my head, I'm sure it's not original, but in case it is, um, someone should do like billboards that say, I'm exceptional, and then have a picture of these survivors. Like, because, but how do you talk about language to pull it back from buzzwords of, oh, an exception, you know, which sounds like, well, I sometimes make a mistake and then I'll figure it out. And, you know, this one is a mistake for life. But how do you talk about that language? Yeah, this is a difficult, this has been a difficult conversation for decades for a lot of people. And certainly now with what we know is probably going to happen federally and having this kickback to the states, then we know, oh, there's that difficult conversation again. But the heart of the matter is, and we know this to be true, um, the child should never the child should never have their inherent dignity and value rest on how other people feel about them. Right. That would be like people looking at me and saying, Oh, well, you know, Melissa, gosh, I'm, you should have been protected. But what if I would have found out later, like my friend, Rebecca Kiesling, that she was conceived in rape, then would you go, Oh, well, you know, Hey, that's, that's totally different. Right. I, what I find, and I don't know if this is true for you guys too. I find most people when they waste, they support exceptions or they talk about it, it's because they do at the heart of the matter care about women. They don't want to see women traumatized, but they're not acknowledging the humanity of that child who deserves to be protected and have life just like you and me. And they don't, they're so just uneducated about the fact that guess what? Uh, An abortion doesn't undo the trauma of rape. It causes, for most women, when you read through the research, it's an additional trauma. But I think that's the problem is the abortion industry and their lobby does a powerful job of burying all of that research that identifies that. They push the narrative that, oh, you know what? It was not. Abortion is never traumatic. And they'll say things like, oh, the long-term outcomes for women who who aren't able to secure an abortion, the long-term outcomes are bad. That's not true. There is research that shows that women find healing. A lot of women, if they're supported, right? A lot of women will say, you know what, that, that child's life was the most healing thing that came out of that experience. Well, no, I I would just add on to that. I mean, even if that were true, I I would, I would challenge why is the solution then to have an abortion? Why not come around that woman and give her the love and support that she needs? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's, that's the heart of the issue is that, you know, the people that are for abortion think that there is a silver bullet that that's going to take away the pain rather than the more difficult choice, which is love and community and a long term commitment to help women who are in terrible circumstances. Exactly. One of my friends, I love this quote. I think you guys will like it, too. One of my friends was a college student and she was raped and she spent the whole pregnancy not knowing if her child was her rapist child or her boyfriend's child. And you know what she said? 
she said, you know what? I didn't know who my son's father was for many months, but I always knew who his mother was. Oh, wow. Huh. That is, that is a good quote. Thank you, Melissa. Um, well, thank you. And uh, one of the things that's uh, so important about uh, what you're doing, Melissa, is we talked about your own work when you say uh, on your website, abortionsurvivors.org, behind the word choice as a person. I'm reminded of the story. One time I was uh, with the late Phyllis Schlafly and um, I was, I've told Jordan this story a hundred times and I was bad mouthing one of the people in power. And I, I don't know if I often say who it was. It was Boehner, John Boehner. And I was saying, John Boehner, this and that and the other thing. And Phyllis said, hold on a second. She said, don't we don't badmouth people. We, we we complain about what they do. We don't badmouth people. And I think it was Phyllis didn't pause and say, let me teach you theology. I think it was her instinct was every human being, right? Everyone sitting across from us, the human being, the camera's not in, made in the image and likeness of God. Melissa Odin is, you know, even Dave. Our producer, it appears, yeah, it's and and uh, and so it's an extraordinary gift to have someone like you be able to put voice to the history of what happens to people because that gives, as you mentioned, each of us is broken in a certain way where it's the nature of sin and and where we are, but we also have a pathway to salvation, and I think salvation as friends and family. But ultimately for us, and we share this uh, with you, you know, in, in God and Christ. And one of the things I think to remind people, too, is we as a nation and people return. Not, not everyone, right? Not everyone, I'm sure, that comes to abortion survivors is necessarily practicing their faith or feeling close to God or whatever. But ultimately, we all know that there's a that is a source. Uh, that is the source for real healing. And so we, we thank God for Melissa Oden and for your work and for the many people that will be drawn to you that— need healing, we will we'll keep them in our prayers. So thank you, Melissa. Thank you. All right. Uh, Melissa Oden, everybody. Well, abortionsurvivors.org. Extraordinary. Her book, You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. You won't put it down. It's unbelievable just to hear her talk, too, like that. And she's the Abortion Survivors Network is amazing. And uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Which This is Life Matters. We're rallying the pro-life movement to fill its calling. Be right back. Ed and Jordan will return in a moment with more of today's discussion. But right now, Life Matters wants you to know about another important partner for life, Thrive Nation. Thrive offers no-cost pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, STD testing and treatment, and education about how to make healthy choices. If you or someone you know needs their help, find them on Facebook or visit thrivestlewis.org. If you or someone you know can help Thrive to continue providing these services at no cost to those who need them, visit thrivealivestl.org, thrivealivestl.org. And now back to Ed Martin and Jordan Henry, because life matters. And we're back now with Life Matters, where we are rallying the pro-life movement to fulfill its calling. I'm Jordan Henry, Director of Research for Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And with me, we have Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, former Missouri Chairman of the Missouri Republican Party. Uh, and we're, we're talking about a difficult topic today, but an important one, and that is the issue of exceptions. And uh, as Melissa Oden, our guest who was on the last segment, uh, brought to us, it's interesting that the exceptions uh, issue, the issue of exceptions, is one that a lot of people struggle with because we, as a pro-life movement, we do care about people. And exceptions are used a lot of times as a litmus test to say, well, you think you care about people, but if you don't put these exceptions in, you don't really care. You just 
care up until the point of birth, and then you don't really care after that. And that's, that's a major misconception that, that we want to debunk here in the few minutes that we have remaining. Uh, a lot of the exceptions you hear, you hear about uh, rape and incest, health of the mother, life of the mother. Uh, and obviously these are tough issues, but they're ones that we need to confront if we're going to actually be pro-life and help the women and children who are victimized by abortion. Well, and, and in an e- in the era, a few weeks ago, we had Clark Forsyth on the podcast, Life Matters. And you remember he said something, Jordan, about how um, it was almost a miracle that the law of abortion at the federal level, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton and, K- and Casey, stayed unsettled enough that we could get this reversal. Because in some ways, uh, it, you know, it could have been locked down maybe and we couldn't find a legal way to make an argument. But part of the reason was there was lots of conversations about, oh, when's viability, right? They made up viability. Mm-hmm. When's yeah. viability? And then they said, well, well, and at the policy level, not, by the way, uh, at the level of um, party politics. The Republican Party stayed pro-life in its platform and stayed true. But over time, there was these exceptions. People said, well, I cannot vote for abortion. Um, I, I cannot support abortion except in these certain circumstances. If mm-hmm. a woman is raped, if it's incest, uh, if the mother's going to die instead of the baby. All of these things, as we've said, Jordan, were emotionalizing a conversation and removing it from the emotion of a baby. Mm-hmm. And so here we are now with, almost with a fresh slate because we're saying now, what are we going to do in this country? We're not going to have a right to abortion. What are we going to do? And how do we mm-hmm. talk about the exceptions? The trap, I fear, as we rally the pro-life community to fulfill its calling, the calling is to life. Right. The calling is to a building a community that respects life in every way, including, as you've said uh, earlier, when a woman's pregnant and is stuck, husband's a jerk, uh, maybe not enough to know a husband, and we have to rally our communities to care for. Of course, it's a different question to whether the government should be the one, but of course, we should have communities that are seeking to support people in every vulnerable position. If someone, and, and so these exceptions become a, a real trap. And I think when you hear Melissa Oden, who's a, a, a survivor of abortion, Rebecca Kisling, she mentioned, who is a as a rape was a product of rape. So that Kathy Barnett, and even as we talk about this, Jordan, in the culture we're in, I'm I'm aware of being careful. You know, as guys and as men, these are horrendous things. You know, yeah. if you if you rape a woman. You, I mean, I'm I'm for castration. I'm for chemical castration. I'm for I I think because it's a to me it's a sacred violation that's really close to life for me. That's my beliefs. So we should be careful to not say oh you know, rape. I mean, we want to be very respectful of the moment and we're in but and the conversation. But those exceptions we see this this trick won the life of the mother. Mm-hmm. This is where you're going to see the culture try to wrap the victimhood of everybody, you know, I'm hyperactive. You obviously can tell. I have attention deficit disorder. I eat too much sugar. Can I stop confessing all my... Oh, no, keep going. And (laughs) I'm a victim. I should be treated differently. I should have extra time on my tests. Do I have tests anymore? I should should have a driver. I shouldn't have to drive myself. I need a self-driving car. Anyway, but you get my point. And here's the thing. Victimhood is going to give this wide berth to say... Oh, and they're trying this. Oh, when I say health of the mother, it's not just that she would die on the table if she had a baby. That happens. 
And that's yeah. the great tradition in America. We led America in, in modern thought on medical ethics, the principle of double effect. What happens when you have to take an action, two actions, abortion or, you know, surgery? The surgery means the mother can survive. The baby might die. You can you can figure that out. There's a lot of weighing and God willing, you're weighing in the Judeo-Christian tradition, not in some, you know, Peter Sanger from uh, Princeton tradition. But the point is on this life of the mother, you're going to see the uh proponents of abortion really lean into that. They're going to say, studies show if I have depression and I'm a 17 and a half, 18 and a half, 21 and a half year old girl, woman, and I don't get that treated, suicide rate is 26%. That's a justification. Well, actually, it's 113%. 113% more likely to Oh, um, more likely. Suicidal... I was going to say, you can't have 100. I'm not well, a math yeah. major. You can't have yeah, 113% 113 of the people increase. kill themselves. Mm -hmm. I got you. But so, yeah, yeah you see, so that's yeah. what they're going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the worry of this exception conversation. And we, the pro-life movement, have to fulfill our calling by learning together how to combat that, how to talk about it, how to articulate it, how to put in place real protections. Right. Nobody yeah. wants a mother to die. Right. I mean, this is insane that we're even arguing. But it's a lot of traps, a lot of yeah. traps. And, and this isn't theoretical either. You can take this all the way back to the Doe v. Bolton decision. That right. was the, the partner decision to Roe v. Wade right. in which uh, the court, the Supreme Court, actually defined health of the mother to include uh, emotional distress. Um, and I mean, you can't you can't deny that there there are emotional aspects to uh, abortion and childbirth, both of them. Uh, but but it, when you have an exception for health of the mother that includes emotional distress, uh, you, you just have to acknowledge the fact that you don't really have any law against abortion at that point. At that point, all, you can say all the language you want about it. But it, when you can use emotional distress as an excuse to have an abortion, then that is abortion on demand. There's no question about it. Now, only 6% of abortions are attributed to health concerns. And uh, the most cited health concern, according to some studies uh, within the last 20 years, uh, are, are that uh, the most cited health concerns are uh, normal pregnancy symptoms like morning sickness and uh, things that would would prevent a woman from taking care of other children uh, and going to work and things of that nature. But these are normal pregnancy symptoms, nothing abnormal that would threaten the long term health of the mother. So in, in the vast, vast majority of cases, there is no prolonged uh, health impact uh, from going through a healthy pregnancy to term. Uh, and, uh, you know, but you do have to talk about those very rare cases where a pregnancy can uh, potentially be detrimental to a woman's life. Yeah. And I hope what we're doing in creating these podcasts and as you and I've talked, especially with Melissa Oden, is giving these voices, right? L getting yeah. the getting the voices of the conversation, not just our discussion, but, you know, and one of the things as we wrap this up, again, it's Life Matters, uh, go to phyllisschlafly.com and you can read more and and uh, and uh, pass this on to other people. But, you know, in Casey, one of the famous decisions, Justice Kennedy said the following, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, and of the mystery of human life. Now, that kind of insanity from a justice of the Supreme Court, it was a footnote, it's dicta, it's not get ruling, but but we're one of the things we have to do if we're going to rally ourselves to fulfill our calling is educate ourselves and our colleagues and our friends and our families and our kids and our pastors sometimes 
in the truth of what is happening, not just the politics of it, but the truth of this. And that necessity, almost reformation of we the people in this country, that's a task that's going to take generations now because of the, the this right. kind of this kind of teaching. You can you can overturn Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, Casey versus Pennsylvania, and it'll be gone. Thank God. But the 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 aftershocks of the kind of education we've seen it's going to be a big challenge. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, you can have a conversation about whether the government should have a place in uh, supporting uh, women and uh, and uh, children that that were that were not planned. Uh, and all of that. You can have a conversation about that if you want to. But at the heart of it, uh, as Melissa talked about, these women and their children, they need support in a way that doesn't come in dollar signs. Right. They need people to love them, to give them community and to help them, to really, really help them and walk alongside them. And I think that the challenge for um, for not just the pro-life movement, but for all of America, is how can we give them the support that you can't get from the government, the emotional support and and just the love and caring. And, and that, of course, to us as Christians, we see that as part of our mission uh, is to come along those who, alongside those who are suffering and hurting uh, and to help them, to provide community for them. Uh, and and so we need to have a holistic conversation, not just about saving the lives of children. Of course, that is super important. There, there's no doubt about it. That's arguably the most important part. But still, you need to provide support for people who are in these terrible circumstances. There are plenty of groups that are doing that uh, throughout the nation. But we need more. We need more people who will step into that and to fill those gaps because there are people who need help. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what we're doing here on Life Matters, this podcast. We are grateful, as always, uh, to uh, the Melissa Oden, our great guest, and uh, Family Vision Media, and Dave, our producer, uh, putting this together. Please uh, visit uh, phyllisschlafly.com. Find this podcast. We'll be back again uh, for more sessions. Uh, again, trying to put together what this all means at this key moment. Um, we're weeks away. I don't know. We don't even know where we're reading. I went by the Supreme <laughs> Court on Monday, last Monday, to try to see if the decision would come down. So we're, we'll, we'll know soon on the Dobbs case. So anything, final thoughts? Just stay tuned, everybody, because now more than ever, we need people who are staying plugged in on this issue, who are prepared, who know their stuff and are ready to be strong voices for life because life matters. Life Matters is a production of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and Family Vision Media. To learn more, please visit phyllisschlafly.com and familyvisionmedia.org.